Let's say God's Word this morning, and if you turn in God's Word to the book of Exodus in chapter 6, Exodus chapter 6, we are working our way through the book of Exodus. You may ask, Pastor, why do you go chapter by chapter, and you pick a book and you just go through the book? Well, number one is I have to preach the whole counsel of God. I just don't know of any better way to do that than to just preach through a book so that you know I'm not trying to avoid anything. And also, so that you know I'm not, you know, the next thing that comes down the pike is the next thing. And so I'm not trying to think about what's going on in your life and try to prepare a message for you because I know what you're dealing with. Now, certainly sometimes there's times when we, uh, the Lord puts something on the heart uh, that I preach. Uh, but uh, as we go through God's Word, we learn some things. And by the way, uh, the Bible says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All Scripture is profitable for reproof. All Scripture is uh, profitable for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now in Exodus chapter 6, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Uh, we've seen since chapter 2, remember Moses uh, was really uh, chosen uh, by God to be the deliverer. Now Moses' timing was not necessarily God's timing. And so Moses learned this for the first four years of his life. He spent uh, the time in Egypt. He was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in word and deed. And when he was 40 years of age, he attempted to deliver the people in his own strength. Uh, that attempt caused him to have to flee Egypt. And so for the next 40 years, he spent his time in Midian, working for his father-in-law, um, keeping sheep in the backside of the desert. And that was when, after 40 years, that God, at 80 years of age, that God uh, called him. And we have looked uh, at the discussions. I don't know if I want to call it the argumentations between God and Moses. And so certainly, I, I do believe that we wrestle, uh, you know, we, there's a struggle with the flesh, there's a struggle with the world, but I think we also have to acknowledge that there's also a struggle with God that we often have, that often we deal with, as to who's going to be in charge and whose will are we going to do. Are we going to do our will or are we going to do God's will? And that's a real struggle, and uh, that has to be acknowledged as well. And... Um, uh, we saw that uh, struggle at Moses tried to get out of doing the assignment that God had for him. Uh, God um, convinces Moses, though Moses went not initially willingly. God eventually gives him what he wants. He, he gives him Aaron to be his spokesman and to be the one who's going to initially um, be Mo Moses' mouthpiece. And uh, we saw that uh, when they finally... Um, and Moses had to take care of things in his life. But then they finally get to Egypt in Exodus chapter 5, and um, things seem to go a step backward. Could we say that? They go to Pharaoh. They said, Would you let the people go three days' journey into the wilderness to offer a feast to the Lord, to offer a sacrifice? And that was a temporary request. That's a very reasonable request. And uh, remember, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? I know not the Lord, neither will I obey his voice. And after that, Pharaoh made things harder for the children of Israel. He cut out all the supply of straw. 
And so there was a supply chain crisis. They had to go throughout all the land of Egypt, and they had to find a substitute for the straw that they didn't have. And when they did not meet the demand that they had before, they were beaten. And so the burden was great on them. And so logically after this, the people, uh, the, the children of Israel, the officer of the children of Israel, they go to Pharaoh seeking for relief, and Pharaoh is going to give them none. And so when they leave the presence of Pharaoh, they meet Aaron and Moses, and they blame uh, Moses and Aaron, and basically say, God's going to judge you for what you did to us. And so they basically said, you have put a sword in the hand of Pharaoh that he may kill us. And so they blamed Moses. So think about Moses now. Um, the children of Israel are not listening to Moses. They're mad at Moses, and Pharaoh's not listening to Moses. And Moses is in the middle and he's struggling. And at the end of chapter 5, Moses, he, he asks two questions and then he makes two, two statements as he speaks to the Lord. Um, notice it's the last two verses. Let's go there just for sake of context. So Exodus 5, verse 22 and 23 and Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Why is it that thou hast sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. So there's two questions and two statements. Now the, the, the questions are, if you notice the questions there's a question mark, but I don't think Moses wants an answer in those questions. Have you ever asked a question where you're just trying to make a statement by the question? You don't really want an answer? And so the first question here, we see that Moses basically charged the Lord with the evil done to the children of Israel. Now the particular evil he's referring to was to take away the straw and to make the burden greater. And so uh, Moses charges the Lord with doing that evil. Then, in the second question, verse 22, Moses questioned the Lord's call in sending him. Right? That's what he says. Why is it that thou hast sent me? After those two questions, he makes two statements, or I guess it's one statement, but two parts. Moses basically comes to the conclusion that since the meeting with Pharaoh, since the meeting with Pharaoh, things have gotten worse and not better. That's what he says. Since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Now, did you notice the first time he blamed God for the evil? And now he basically says, well, since the meeting with Pharaoh, because of you, things have gotten worse. And then he says, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. And so then Moses criticizes the Lord for having failed to deliver the people from Egyptian bondage. Is that fair to say that that's what Moses is doing? So we're not done, we're continuing. So chapter 6, verse 1, let's read our text this evening. Then the Lord said unto Moses, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now let's just pause for just a moment. 
How gracious is the Lord to respond to Moses like that? Um, if those types of statements would have been made towards us, we would not have been as gracious as the Lord. But the Lord is certainly gracious, and he replies to Moses, based on what Moses said, Then the Lord said unto Moses, shalt thou, thou shalt see, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. So notice God says, Pharaoh is going to let them go, and Pharaoh himself is going to drive them out of the land. Verse 2, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Now I want you to think about those words. Those words appear throughout God's word. Whenever there's a crisis, when man begins to fear or to doubt God, God often reminds man by saying this, I am the Lord. And notice here, verse 3, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel. So in the first part, verse 1 through 5, uh, God brings Moses' attention not to the present circumstances, but to who he is. And then he's going to now from verse 6, really down to verse 8, he's going to give a message that he wants Moses to relay to the children of Israel. So here's the message, verse 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, what's the next four words? I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burden, burdens of the Egyptians. And I will bring you into, uh, in unto the land, concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for an heritage. What's the next four words? I am the Lord. Verse 9, And Moses spake so unto the children of Israel. So what God said, say this to them. He said the same thing. But they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Go in, speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, that he let the children of Israel go out of his land. And Moses spake, before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? Now, Moses, as a Jew, was circumcised. 
the idea of being uncircumcised lips is I, I'm not worthy to speak. I can't speak. I, I don't have the ability to relay those things to him. By the way, didn't he say that right in his debate with the Lord, that he was not eloquent, he couldn't speak, and therefore he needed Aaron to help him. Um, the generations of Moses and Aaron are given after that, but at the end of the chapter, Moses is going to speak again, and notice what he says again. And Moses said in verse 30, And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Now, what we find here in Exodus chapter 6 is a, a time of difficulty in the life of Moses, in the life of the children of Israel, in the life of this mission, right, that God has called Moses to carry out, to bring the people out of Egyptian bondage. And in chapter 5 we saw that things have seemed to go backwards, not forward. There's been no progress. Things, as, as a matter of fact, have seemed to gotten worse. And so now there's, we could say there's trouble in the camp. Uh, the children of Israel are upset. Uh, Moses is frustrated by his call. Uh, Pharaoh is uh, making the burdens greater on the children of Israel. And here what we find, I think, is a, we find a struggle. A struggle uh, certainly with the children of Israel, a struggle with Pharaoh, a struggle with Moses. But I think more importantly here, this is really a struggle with God. And I think when we, we think about Moses and in the children of Israel, I think it's a struggle between faith and fear. Between faith and fear. So I'd like to preach on this this evening as we look at our text. A struggle between faith and fear. As I mentioned earlier at the end of chapter 5, Moses has been critical of how the Lord has worked. And I think that lest we, and I've said this, lest we be too critical on Moses, um, we may not audibly say those things, but I think sometimes we may find ourselves critical of how God works. Let me give you an example. Um... We prayed for a church building. I'll speak of my frustrations. And we made an offer on a building, and I thought we made an offer on a building. Well, God is surely going to make it work. Then it falls through. And so at that moment, you might sense, well, well, God, don't you, didn't you say you would build your church? Didn't it say you, you would provide? Uh, didn't uh, God, has, have you called me? Am I not aware of what you're doing? And so we may at, at some point question and there may be a struggle between trying to understand what God is doing and what is going on in the world, in our lives, and in our circumstances. And I, I think that the struggle often we may think that, well, we don't know how God operates, but I think it's really a struggle between faith and fear. God has already told Moses what he's going to do. And so Moses, by the way, has already been made aware that Pharaoh, when he meets with Pharaoh the first time, that Pharaoh is not going to listen and that Pharaoh is not going to hearken. And so Moses has not been ignorant of this. God has told him that. And yet Moses here is still dealing with a, a struggle and there is fear in his life 
uh, because of uncertainty. Maybe because he thinks that, well, if I were God, I wouldn't do it that way. And I think sometimes we may be in the same place, although we may not verbalize it as Moses verbalizes it here. But I think maybe the same ideas may be in us. Now, as we look at our text, I want to see here how God deals with it. And certainly we can learn from how the Lord responds to Moses. I want you to notice, first of all, that the Lord is going to bring Moses' attention to himself. Now, that's always helpful, by the way. Uh, It's interesting that when God is going to speak to Moses, He is at no point going to say to Moses, Yeah, Moses, I look, the people are are responding badly to you, and I, I know Pharaoh is not listening. I'm really sorry. He doesn't say that. What he does is he he's going to encourage Moses to take his eyes off the present circumstances that he is in. Take your eyes off of the rejection of Pharaoh. Take your eyes off of the, uh, I guess, the anger of the children of Israel. And get your eyes on the Lord. And by the way, that is always a good thing to do. We know this to be true even in the New Testament. We think about uh, the book of Hebrews when uh, you're dealing with uh, the believers who uh, had a Jewish heritage, who had trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, who uh, were facing fear and doubt in the midst of persecution. You remember what he instructed them to do in Hebrews 12? He said, uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, And so he encourages them to take their eyes off their present circumstances and the difficulties and the persecution and look to the Lord. Now, this is not to say that there is no persecution and that the affliction of the children of Israel is irrelevant. It's just saying that God is greater than those things. That's what that is saying. And so the Lord, He doesn't make light of the difficulties of the children of Israel. He doesn't ignore the fact that they are being mistreated, but he brings the attention of Moses to himself. And so notice here, uh, there are several things that God is going to bring Moses' attention to. The first thing in verse 1 is that God brings attention to his power. Notice verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. Now, the wording here is very interesting. Because here, if you notice here, it is not God that is saying, I'm going to, with my strong hand, I'm going to drive you out. No, that's not what he says. God says to Moses, I'm I'm going to show you what I'm going to do. And by the time I'm done with Pharaoh, he is going to let you go, and he is going to drive you out. That's what the text says, doesn't it? Notice, let's read it again. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. So understand, all the plagues are what? Certainly God showing his power, but it is God doing something to Pharaoh. Now what's going to do, what is that going to bring about in his life? 
God's going to harden his heart. He's going to harden his heart. His heart's going to be hardened by what God's going to do to Pharaoh. But notice what's going to be the result of that. For with a strong hand shall he, who? Pharaoh. Shall he let them go, and with a strong hand shall he drive them out of the land. Now we know that the he here is not God speaking to himself because he just referred to himself as I will. And then he says, and he will. So God is going to do something to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh is going to let them go and drive the people out of the land. So here, notice here, God brings attention, Moses' attention, to his power. Now, now we, we, we think here that there's going to be the ten plagues, and certainly that's the power of God. Uh, we could, uh, I'm not going to uh, go there for sake of time and describe all of them, but uh, remember uh, plague number one, uh, the water is going to be turned to blood. Now, I, uh, that's not just the color. It's going to be literal blood. Uh, then there's going to be frog, every, frogs everywhere in the land. And then he's going to smite them with lice. And then he's going to smite them with flies. I don't like flies. Uh, then he's going to uh, uh, have the death of the livestock. And then there's going to be uh, boils on uh, their bodies of the Egyptians. And then after that, there's going to be hail that's going to destroy much of the crops. And then, uh, just in case there's anything green left, then he's going to send the locusts who are going to devour everything in the land. And then he's going to bring darkness upon Egypt. And then the last plague, there's going to be the death of the firstborn. And as I mentioned here, every one of those plagues was an attack on one of an Egyptian god. Every one of those plagues is representative of an Egyptian god. And so God is going to uh, uh, show his power through those plagues. And so here God, now Moses hasn't seen any of those things yet. They're going to happen. But uh, God says to Moses, now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh is God himself. In the midst of the Egyptians, he stands as, as God. And the people worship the Pharaoh. And yet, God is going to show himself strong, and he's going to show that Pharaoh is no God at all. Because God is going to do such a mighty work that the man who is so hardened, the man who is so opposed and reviles so much the children of Israel, that same man is going to send them out. That same man is going to let them go. And so here God tells Moses, uh, Moses, forget about the opposition. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to do some great things. And the end of my great work and my great power is going to be such that the same man who you just think we took a big step backwards, that same man is going to take a step forward and eventually he's going to be the one that's going to send you out. Then he brings Moses' attention to his person. Notice verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, notice the four words, I am the Lord. Let those words be comforting to us every time we are dealing with difficult circumstances. May we always be reminded by the voice of the Lord when He says, I am the Lord. What does that mean? I got things under control. 
No, no, no. Exodus 5, backwards. No, I am the Lord, God says. And so he brings Moses' attention to his person. Uh, then, and I'll, I'll touch on this a little bit here and just later, because in the message that he's going to communicate to the children of Israel, he's going to say that twice. I am the Lord, I am the Lord. But as we hasten here, we see that all then God brings Moses' attention to his promise. Notice in verse 3, he says, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. And so here, obviously, when he refers back here to appearing to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's going to then uh, refer to his covenant with them in verse 5. He says, I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Well, what covenant? The covenant he made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. Well, that, that has to do with a promise. And notice here in verse 3, now, did they know the Lord God Almighty? Yes. But he says here, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Well, Jehovah in the Old Testament is the equivalent to Jesus in the New Testament. The name Jehovah may, means Jesus saves. God is salvation. And so the reason why he says that this generation, that he did not uh, they did not know him by this name is because the previous generation are not have not experienced what this generation is going to experience. Because that generation is going to see Jehovah God save them, what? From Egyptian bondage. And they're going to know, and they're going to call God from this point on, Jehovah, why? Because Jehovah saves. And that was the promise he made, remember, that promise was made in Genesis 15. When Abraham, let's go back there again, in Genesis 15, if you turn there with me. Now, the Genesis 15, we have the, the institution of the circumcision. And so, um, or the, the covenant, remember, that God made... The circumcision is actually later, but the covenant that God made with Abraham. And notice what he says uh, in verse 13. Genesis 15, verse 13. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years, and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance." So this was what the Lord had already told to Abraham. But Abraham and Isaac and Jacob never saw that day of God's great deliverance. But it was announced and it was prophesied. And so here this generation during the time of Moses, they're going to see and they're going to remember God as Jehovah. God is salvation. And so God brings attention, uh, Moses' attention to His promise to his power, to his person, to his promise. But lastly, he brings uh, Moses' attention to his plan. Notice in verse 4. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they are strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. So here is his plan. God 
heard. And so God is going to bring them unto the land that was promised. And if you remember, right, the Lord told Abraham, look at the land. And Abraham really never saw the day when that promise was accomplished. And he showed them the land. And he told them the dimensions that, uh, that one day uh, the seed would own after him. And, and so he, here God to Moses brings the attention of Moses to his plan by the way that he has promised for generations. And here, so here God tells Moses how he's going to do it. And he tells him that he is going to do it because he has remembered the covenant. So we end Exodus chapter 5 with Moses saying, Lord, you, you really have done evil towards your people. You probably shouldn't have sent me. And it looks like we've stay, taken a, stay, uh, 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 a step backwards because when I spoke to Pharaoh, now he's made things worse. And the truth is, you have not delivered your people at all. The people are complaining to me. And by the way, this is Moses after the children of Israel told him, God's going to judge you. <laughs> and so... Moses then, what would you do? Well, when God speaks to Moses, he says, Moses, let me tell you that you're going to see my power. You need to remember who I am. You need to remember the promises that I've made that I'm going to fulfill. And you need to remember the plan that I have that I'm going to work out. You know, now, uh, certainly there is the sense that those specific promises given to the children of Israel about this particular bondage and the ten plagues and the things that would happen as a result and bring them into a land, uh, that's not things that concern us now, right? We, the, the agenda of the church is not, right, to... Uh, find deliverance, uh, physical deliverance from the world. It's not for us to find a piece of property somewhere and to, you know, uh, build a tabernacle. And that, 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 that is not the agenda here for the church. But yet I think when we think about the church, we can also think that we have to be focused on God's power, God's person, God's promise, and God's plan. Let me give you one verse. Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. What is that a focus on? Well, it's a focus on God's power, God's person, God's promise, and God's plan. Now, now turn there. Let's look at it because he, he goes on after that. Turn to Romans 8. Now, this is just one New Testament example so we are not dealing with the Egyptian bondage that the children of Israel were dealing with in the physical sense. Certainly this is a picture of salvation, the uh, redemption there. But notice with me in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, the, the context of Romans 8.28 is suffering. Uh, now go back to um, verse 15, Romans 8.15. Let's look at those verses. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby ye cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, and so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. Now, an heir, does that mean there are promises attached to God's people? Well, yeah, if you're an heir, that means there's a promise, there's an inheritance. But then he says, if we are joint heirs, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. So he's talking about suffering, and then he goes on, Notice in verse 18, For I reckon that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now, again, it's not making light of the suffering in the world. It's making um, a great statement about the glory that is to come, that the glory that is to come far outweighs the suffering of the world. It's a far greater degree. And so he goes on to say, for verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. You see, the creation was cursed because of sin. And so the creation is still under a curse. But we remember that when the creation was cursed, it was cursed in hope. That's what he says. Well, what was the hope? Well, the hope was Genesis 3.15. That the seed of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent. And so when the curse was pronounced in the midst of the curse, hope was given by the seed of the woman. And so he says, verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. So we live today, even though we are saved, we live in a sin-cursed world that is dominated with suffering. Because of the curse of sin. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruit of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. So there's a, we are saved, but there's the redemption of our bodies that is coming. Verse 24, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he have hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. That's the trouble there. The patience to wait for it. And so he says, verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Verse 29, For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be what? To be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. And whom He called, them He also justified. And whom He justified, them He also glorified. Well, our glorification hasn't happened yet. But the statement is, it's done. You see, there are things in the world that we, we, we may think here as we look and, and think about the promises of God. And so we have to think about God's power, His person, His promise, and His plan. And so that's exactly what God does to Moses. Just like Paul writes to the believers at Rome and says, God's got His plan and it's being worked out. And if you love God, all things work together for good. To them that love God. Now it's interesting when it says, We know that all things work together for good. 
It doesn't say, um, if you would, well, well, what is that based on? How do we know? Do we know it because of what we observe in the negative circumstances? No. We know that all things work together because God's in charge. Now, circumstances may sometimes seem that we have lost control and God has lost control. And he says, not so. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And so what we have to do is stop looking at the suffering in this present world, realize that the suffering of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So what he is saying is not that the suffering doesn't exist. He's saying that the glory that is to come is what we have to keep our eyes on in order to not lose hope while we are in the suffering world. So here, back in Exodus chapter 6, the Lord tells Moses, I am the all-powerful God. Remember who I am. Remember the promises I made. And remember that I will work out the plan that I've set out to do. And then we turn to verse 6. And so God turns Moses' attention to himself. You know, that's something that we must all learn to do. David, when he faced stoning by his own men, because the city and their wives and their children were taken captive, they were ready to stone him, a source of discouragement and struggle. The Bible says he encouraged himself in the Lord. You know what that means? That when you cannot encourage yourself by your circumstances, you learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. And that's something purposely that we must do in our lives. Turn our eyes on the Lord, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. Look to the Lord. But then he's going to say, Moses, here's the message I have for the children of Israel. And so here's the message, verse 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel. Now, anytime God says this, you know, because he is human, Moses, just like you and I, you know there's trepidation. You remember the last conversation? You put a sword in the hand of Pharaoh to kill us. God's going to judge you, Moses. You're in the wrong. I wouldn't look forward to speaking to these people again. But God says to Moses, I want you to say to the children of Israel. <laughs> so here is the message. Four words. I am the Lord. So what God did with Moses, He wants Moses to do with the children of Israel. Bring the people's attention to the Lord, Moses. It seems that things are getting worse. Turn their attention to the Lord. So, he says, now notice here, try to count how many times God says, I will. Notice verse 6, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. And I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. And I will bring you in unto the land 
wherein the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it you for an heritage. I am the Lord. How many times did God say, I will? Seven times. Good job. Seven times. Now, in this section, the Lord tells Moses, I will seven times. Before and after these seven declarations from the Lord, he says this. Notice before he begins in verse 6, he says, I am the Lord. At the end in verse 8, at the end of the seven declarations, he concludes the seven declarations by saying, I am the Lord. So he says, say this to the people of Israel, and you're going to tell them seven things I'm going to do. I will do this and this and this and this. But uh, I guess you could say sandwich inside of that is, I am the Lord. Remember this. Keep focused on this. Because if you focus on the fact that I am the Lord, then every time God says, I will, then you can trust Him. And by the time you get to the end, you think about, oh, God is going to do all that. And God reminds us again, so just make sure at the end when you tell them all that I'm going to do, tell them, I am the Lord. Now, if you notice each one of those things, he says in verse 6, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Now, we're going to see how God's going to do that. I will rid you out of their bondage. Now, there's two things here. Those are two different things. One is an emphasis on the fact that they're no longer going to be in Egypt. But the second one, there's an emphasis on the fact that they're no, no longer going to be in slavery. They lived in Egypt. They're no longer going to be in Egypt. They were slaves. They will no longer be slaves. That's a promise. That's what God's going to do. But how is He going to do this? Notice at the end of verse 6, I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with the great judgments. See, before Jesus Christ came, there was a promise of salvation. There was a promise that God says, I'm going to redeem this people and I'm going to bring you out of the bondage of sin and I'm going to have you seated in heavenly places in Christ. And how does He do that? redemption. The Bible says, I will redeem you with a stretch out arm and with great judgment. And so, what is that? Well, that's a picture of the cross. That the deliverance of salvation and the bondage and the slavery of sin, that Jesus Christ is going to deliver that and He's going to take us from the miry clay, uh, take our feet out of the world and set our feet on a solid foundation, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. And God is going to do that by His stretched out arm and judgment. Well, what is that? That's the cross. The Bible says it pleased the Lord to bruise Him, to put Him to grief. Jesus on the cross says, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? The wrath of God was placed upon the Son for our sins, and the judgment of God was seen at the cross. And so, God says... I will do this. And there's a picture certainly of salvation. We continue and notice he says, verse 7, I will take you to me for a people. Now that's interesting. It's, it's wonderful how that mirrors salvation. Because once we are saved, what does God want to do in our lives? Well, He wants to take you 
Notice, take us to me for a people. And so remember, when God would bring them out, He wanted them to be with Him. He says, let the people go that they may offer a feast unto the Lord, that they may offer sacrifice unto the Lord. When we turn to, uh, if you turn to Exodus 19, if you remember uh, the theme of the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 19, in verse 4, the Lord is going to say to Moses, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. And so God says, I'm going to take you to me for a people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And when salvation happens in our lives, it is the very same thing. That when God redeems us, He doesn't redeem us so that now we have the freedom to do and to live as we please. Now we have the freedom from the bondage of the slavery of sin and the Egyptian bondage and we can come into the glorious liberty of the children of God and be in fellowship with God in the wilderness. Because we are God's people and He is our God and now we are free to serve God. He goes on to say, I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. We talked about about it this morning. We have been set free from the curse of the law, from the curse of sin, from the law of sin and death. We have been set free from that. And by the way, he tells us in Hebrews... Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. God forbid. He goes on in verse 8. I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give, into, to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it uh, you for an heritage. I am the Lord. Now sometimes we think about, well, that, uh, that is a picture of their heritage, and we think about our inheritance, and that's heaven. No, no, there's not really a parallel there, I don't think, between Canaan and heaven. Why? Because when they got to Canaan, what did they do? They fought. When we get to heaven, there's going to be no fighting. The victory will be won. So what is the parallel? The parallel of Canaan land is victory in the Christian life over our foes. You see, we've been delivered from Egyptian bondage, and now we have a new life And uh, God wants to give us victory in this present life. And He can give us victory by faith. By faith, by walking by faith. And so there's a parallel here, and this is what God said He's going to do. Now we'll go talk about this as we go through the book of Exodus more in detail and perhaps deal with those things individually. But when God says, I'm going to do these seven things, He says, remember, I am the Lord, I am the Lord. Remember who I am. And God does what He does based on who He is. So the focus should not be so much on what He does as much as who He is. Why? Because if we're focused on what He does, we might not think that He does things in the right way. But if we're focused on who He is, we know He does all things right. You see? So the focus is on the Lord, not what is happening in our lives. Now, We know how the story ends. And so Exodus 5 seems a step backwards in that moment. But it was really a step forward. You see? It got worse. Yeah, but God was going to work it out. So, Moses, 
Would, would you be excited after God says all this? I'm going to do those seven things. I am the Lord. Remember my power, my promises, my person, and my plan. It's going to, it's going to work out, Moses. So Moses probably thinks here he's excited. And so Moses, verse 9, spake so unto the children of Israel. And so now notice the words, he spake so. So I think here the Bible says that Moses was faithful in communicating what the Lord told him that he would do for the children of Israel. He, did, he said exactly what God told him to say. And so no doubt there was an excitement. You see, I think that Moses here in that moment, he believes God. He thinks God's going to do those great things, and he's excited to deliver that exact message. He says, hey, children of Israel, God said, I am the Lord. Listen, I, I, he's going to do those seven things. And he said again, I am the Lord. And so you think that, wow, there'd be a stir and there'd be a revival among the children of Israel. No. No. But, verse 9, they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. Now if you notice here, in verse 10, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, The children of Israel never replied to Moses. They never respond to the message that he delivered. So here, it's interesting, there is no insult and response from the children of Israel as it was recorded early on in chapter 5, notice verse 21. Remember what they said? And they said unto them, The Lord look upon you and judge, because ye have made our savor to be abhorred in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of his servant to put a sword in, in their hand to slay us. And so they, they had responded early on to Moses and Aaron. They had been critical of them. And now here, Moses comes with this message from God. Say, hey, this is what God's going to do. He is the Lord, and He's going to do those things. And the Bible says they would not hearken. And then the Bible says that God spoke unto Moses. It is as if the children of Israel didn't even pay attention to what Moses said. The text, They hearken not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. So, do you see Moses here? The children of Israel are out working. They're doing their work. They're tired. The burden is, is greater on them. They can't meet the demand. There's a supply chain issue. There's all the things going on. And so you see here Moses, he kind of comes probably where all the people are. Maybe he meets with the leaders and says, hey, there's good news. God spoke and this is what he said. And so here's the message that I have for you. They're not even paying attention to him. The Lord said, I will. I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will rid you out of their bondage. And there's people just working. Not, not even listening, not even paying attention to Moses. God says, I will redeem you. I will take you to be a people. I will be your God. That's what God says. God says, I am the Lord. God's going to do those things. And nobody is listening. Why? Well, the Bible tells us why. They hearken not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. The word anguish means shortness or impatience. Have you ever been impatient? Let me give you an example. It's been a long day. You're exhausted. You send all the children to bed. And you finally have a moment of rest. 
It's been a busy day all day. And then a child comes to the bedroom and they want to tell you, they want to speak for three hours. And you don't want to listen. Why? You say, you think to yourself, we had all day. If you wanted to talk to me during the day, you could have. But you ignored me all day. You didn't even listen to me. And now you want to talk to me? What is that? Impatience and sometimes you dismiss, go back to bed. Now, the idea here is they did not hearken to Moses because of anguish of spirit. The word anguish means shortness or impatience. The word spirit refers to life within us, breath of life that God gives us. Uh, Basically, their life and their vitality had been crushed by the great burden that they were under. They don't have time for Moses. They don't want to listen to him. So Moses, you see, the people are working. Maybe it's the end of the day. They're exhausted. And Moses is speaking. And nobody is paying attention. They're impatient. They're short with him. Uh, they, uh, there's no life or vitality. They've been crushed by the burden. And uh, this was certainly uh, caused by the cruel bondage that is mentioned here in verse 9. How quick were the children of Israel to forsake the word of deliverance when the road got harder for them? You know, there is a peril in allowing our troubles to so dominate our lives that we have no patience or we don't pay attention to what God says. That was the children of Israel. We don't want to even listen to God. You have a message from God? Not interested. Our life is hard, Moses. We don't have time for this. You get that? Our life is hard. We have lots going on right now. Can't you see what's going on? We don't have time for God's word. For what God says. We must be careful never get to that place where we become so busy in life where we become, we have anguish of spirit. We're just shortness and impatience and we just don't have time for God anymore. Why? Because what life has done to us. Now, there is no reply from the children of Israel. I think Moses is completely ignored. They're not even listening. How discouraging. I, I, I would imagine because the Bible says Moses spake so, I think Moses relayed exactly what God said and nobody was listening. So I think that Moses, I think, had some level of excitement to relay that message, maybe to revive the people, to encourage them, and the opposite happens. Have you ever tried to encourage someone that was discouraged, and then after your conversation with them, you didn't encourage them, but they discouraged you? (laughs) That, That may happen. And so I think here that Moses, being a man, like you and I, well, ladies, you know, human nature... And so the Lord now speaks unto Moses. Interesting, Moses didn't speak to the Lord. I think he was discouraged. And so now the Lord speaks to Moses in verse 10, saying, Go in and speak unto Pharaoh. <laughs> that's, that's a good one. <laughs> right? Uh, God says to Moses, Hey, go speak to the children of Israel. Good news! And he gets to there and nobody's paying attention. So God says, uh, Alright, go speak to Pharaoh. 
what are you going to say to Pharaoh? That he let the children of Israel go out of, this land, out of his land. Now, did you catch what God just said? God just said, I'm going to deliver you by mighty hand. I'm going to, you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. And so maybe Moses at that point must have thought, well, God, what do you, how about you just show me what you're going to do, and then I'll do what you tell me to do. We may be tempted to do that. God, you prove yourself to me, and then I'll do that. You show yourself strong, and then I'll do something. No, no, you go to Pharaoh, you speak to him, you tell him to let the people go. Every time, every time a plague came was after Moses or Aaron spoke to Pharaoh. They were first had to be obedient in speaking to Pharaoh before God showed himself strong. You see, it is always required that we be obedient for God to show himself strong in our lives. But then we get to verse 12. Notice, so the people of Israel don't listen, so go to Pharaoh and tell him this. Verse 12, And Moses spake before the Lord, saying, Behold, the children of Israel have not hearkened unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me, who am of uncircumcised lips? So Moses here, says, now the Lord's aware of this. He's aware. But he tells the Lord that if the children of Israel have not listened to me, why, why do you think Pharaoh is going to hear me? Now, the idea here of hear communicates the idea that Pharaoh is going to listen and allow us to go. And so he basically says, if, the own, if your own people, God, are not listening to you, why are you expecting Pharaoh to listen to me? Now, the truth is, Pharaoh is not going to listen to Moses. But God has already told that to Moses. He's already told him he's not going to listen. And so he says, uh, he adds something at the end of verse 12. How then shall Pharaoh hear me who am of uncircumcised lips? Do you see what Moses does now? After God has told Moses in the midst of difficult circumstances, um, this is who I am. This is what you need to tell the people of Israel. They're not listening. Go to Pharaoh. And Moses says, the children of Israel don't listen to me. You know Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. And then he says, and me, I'm of, I'm of uncircumcised lips. Do you notice he says, he will not hearken unto me. How then shall Pharaoh hear me? Who am of uncircumcised lips? Do you see what Moses did? He took the attention off of God and he put the attention on himself. They're not going to listen to me. I'm unable. I'm ill-equipped. I can't do this. It's not about you, Moses. It's about God. It's about what God's going to do. Moses, you can't do this yourself. God has just said, I'm going to do this. 
Trust me. And so this is what? This is a struggle between faith and fear. Faith in what God will do, in who God is, or fear in what we cannot do, in what we cannot change, in the things that are difficult that we face in our lives. So, this is like us, isn't it? You cannot let me know. This is like us. We are more quickly given over to fears than we are to faith in who God is. You see, the moment when we face things and we say things like this, well, I can't. I wish. People don't listen to me. The attention is on ourselves and not the Lord. And therein lies the great problem with Moses. Therein lies the great problem with us. That's the struggle between faith and fear. Uh, it always manifested differently. But that's the struggle of man. By the way, God deals patiently through Moses. He brings them along. We're going to find, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, about, I, th- I think it's after the third plague, Moses is going to start taking the lead. God's going to be patient with Moses, work with Moses, and eventually Moses is going to take the lead. He's, he's going to be the one holding up the rod, not Aaron. He's going to be the one speaking to Pharaoh, not Aaron. And so God's going to work in his life. And so Moses is going to begin to trust God and to see, oh, God is who he said he is. But what, what is that going to come? It's going to come by him seeing that God is going to do what God said he will do. So it's a struggle between faith and fear. And so we, we have the same struggle. And so we have to think about, let not be too critical of Moses, but think of ourselves, is there any time in my life, the reason why we often can't get victory in our lives is because we focus on ourselves. And our lack, our inabilities, our circumstances. And this me, I, I, me, And I can't solve the issue. Turn to the Lord. Trust the Lord. Faith. So let's pray. That's how the Lord to help us. Father.